Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 15. While you're turning there, uh, you know, I had a, had a pretty cool answer to prayer. As, as you know, uh, God's been gracious to me with my uh, cancer stuff, and they seem to have got everything in stage one and all that good stuff. And, uh, and so uh, any of you have had to jump through the hoops of insurance, it's pretty fun. Uh, you should try it. It's, it's great. Um, but anyways, so, uh, you know, got diagnosed and had surgery, and then uh, they wanted to send me to a specialist in Seattle. Well, I had to go to my insurance's hospital in Seattle because we're in Walla Walla, and they don't have, like, you know, group health out there. So didn't mean to name names, but there we are. Um, <laughs> So I had to go out there in Seattle and so just to get referred across the street. And so anyways, they referred me across the street to a specialist in Seattle. Well, um, I have a pastor's conference in about a month and a half out there, and some of us are going out there. And uh, I was just saying, Lord, it'd be good if we could just arrange that and get it all done at once. <clears throat> and you know what the odds are of working that are. So I went ahead and uh, they they called me and, and they just started talking and saying and and it just kind of as they were talking they're saying well you know let's look at the schedule you know and to get to see a specialist the cancer specialist out in Seattle kind of takes a while so they said well they're booking till the end of September I'm like well so that's good and they're like well the first opening is the uh, Wednesday the 28th well I'm there at the conference from the I'm leaving on the 25th and the 27th at 8 p.m. is when we're done and so. <laughs> I was asking the Lord if I could get in on Wednesday. That would be great, Lord. And so they're like, would you like 9 or 10 a.m.? And I'm like, well then. And so I guess 10 a.m. on Wednesday it is, on the 28th. And so just God is so good, isn't he? I mean, absolutely. And it's just been like that. Um, when I start to take hold and I start to worry and I start to grab and I start to try to manipulate circumstances, let me just tell you, it falls apart. And I just, you know, our theology, and we're going to get into a little theology this morning, and I'm sure it'll help some of you go to sleep, but <laughs> it has to work out in our lives. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne, church. He's ruling and reigning over all principalities, all over all authorities, over all dominions, over group health. <clears throat> I know, it seems big, but I mean, he's there. And when it fits his will and his way and his purposes for something to happen for his glory, he makes it happen. And even in the no's and even in the frustrations God is leading and guiding His people into the things that would bring Him glory if we let Him. Uh, and so I just want to encourage you this morning. Uh, with that, I was encouraged. And so, praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you for praying for me and my family. God is good. Um, and so, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. John, could you turn this up just a little bit, bud? Thanks, Ben. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 uh, through 17. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, 
All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Amen. Lord, I ask that as we come to your word in this, in this time remaining, that you would open our minds to who your son is. Remind us of the one who holds our eternal life in his hands, who himself is the resurrection, who himself is eternal life. And so, Father, just feed your sheep this morning. Whatever is not of you, uh, let it go by the wayside. But whatever is of you, Lord, pour it out on him. In the name of Jesus, amen. Paul is writing the book of Colossians. Uh, he is <clears throat> under house arrest in Rome. He's awaiting trial before Nero, where he would eventually be martyred for being a follower of Jesus Christ. And Paul, as he's imprisoned, has received word from a guy named Epaphras, uh, the one who first shared the gospel with the Colossians several thousand miles away from where Paul sits. And he's hearing that the church in Colossae, is, they have faith, they have love, they have hope. God is doing a great thing in that church. They're continuing in it, which causes Paul and his companions who are with him to praise the Lord in worship and in prayer. I mean, so Paul's just really rejoicing. There's nothing happier to see that the people of God are continuing to walk in the Lord. That makes my heart overjoyed as a pastor and just as a father, you know, to see that with my children or my wife. But Epaphras also, no doubt, he communicates some of the false teachings and the philosophies that were in affront, were attacking that foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ within the church at Colossae. And Paul is using this letter to remind the Colossians and other churches in the region, as we'll learn in chapter 4, of the total ability of Jesus Christ to save them alone. And as I mentioned last week, the philosophies and the false teachings that were influencing the church were directly attacking the belief that faith in Jesus' finished work upon the cross and His resurrection were enough to save them. It was attacking that. And any philosophy and any teaching that would add or detract from the gospel is dangerous. It's deadly. And Paul, as an apostle, comes in and starts to gently encourage and, and guide and reteach and remind them of who they are, of Christ is, because I don't know about you, but living in this world, being influenced by television or media or people or philosophy, it's, it starts to get muddy again. Anybody need to be, you know, cleansed out occasionally? Yes. That's why God has put certain people within the body to encourage and to, uh, to correct and to, and to teach and as I mentioned last week, <clears throat> one of the philosophies that was adding to the gospel in Colossae in the church was a form of Gnosticism in its early stages. And Gnosticism just means secret knowledge. How many of you would like to have secret knowledge? It's very interesting with the leaks of Snowden about the secret knowledge there is out there, right? We all want access, access to secret knowledge. I think that's pretty funny. Well, in, in a very, it's not really funny, but I mean, in a philosophical way, um, there were people peddling secret knowledge uh, to the, the, the Christians. And the idea of Gnosticism uh, within this philosophy, it was espoused that God is spirit, and therefore everything that is spirit is good. 
I'm going to teach you about a thinking that was happening a long time ago so we can relate to what Paul is saying so that we can pull it into our modern context and go, oh, this might be some things that, that we're dealing with. Does that make sense? So the, the philosophy of the day was that God is spirit. He's not material. And he's good. And I would not disagree with that. But their philosophy says that a series of emanations or lesser godlike creations, angels, if you will, emanated like a ripple in a pond from God, and that these emanations, one after another, the further away they got from God, they became less good until they finally an evil emanations started to arrive. And those evil emanations created by the, the preceding emanations uh, one of those decided to create the material universe. Are you kind of like going, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> good. God is good, they said. He is spirit, and all things spiritual are good. And from him emanated a bunch of different types of beings. And the further away those beings were created by the preceding beings, the, the more evil they became. It's like they became a less good copy of God until finally evil beings came about and those one of those evil beings created the known universe that was their thinking that was their philosophy therefore the physical world and the universe is evil kind of a weird thought isn't it and so the idea was that God was far far removed from this material world and that this world was created by an evil emanation, an angel, or some kind of being far removed from God. And in order to save oneself, you would have to gain secret knowledge from good emanations sent from God, which would get you on your way to unlocking the next level. So you'd level up, right? <clears throat> All the gamers said, yay. <clears throat> and you get the next level of secret knowledge until you kind of got closer to God. Does that make sense? And what's so cool is people with authority are saying, I'm the source of that secret knowledge come to me. And they buy it. We're buying it right now in our political cycle. And in order to save oneself, you had to gain that secret knowledge. And so the fact that Jesus was God and God became flesh, that was rejected by them. Does that make sense? They would say that Jesus was a man and was possessed by one of those good emanations at his baptism. Uh, and, but then right before he got on the cross, that emanation left. And so they would try to compromise all these things to fit in with their philosophy. They try to merge Christi Christianity with the culture. Does that make sense? Has that ever happened around us? No, never would happen. And they outright rejected that God came in, in the flesh and died and rose again because this entangled the material with the spiritual world, evil with good, in their mind's eye. And so Paul, writing from thousands of miles away with no means of instant communication other than through prayer, is writing this letter. He pens this letter. And his prayer in verse 9 and 10, which precedes what we're talking about today, is that we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit 
gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And so Paul is hitting on that word knowledge. He's hitting on that, per, that, that, that word wisdom. And he's saying, where I want to direct you, where you're wrong in all this, where these things are coming in, is that all the knowledge you need comes from the person of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 15, the pleasantries, the introductions, and the prayers are over, and he desires that the church would know Jesus. Not an emanation, but the Son of God. Not an angel or a messenger in a series of angels or messengers that would give secret knowledge that leads to another with secret knowledge. But Paul wanted them to know Jesus, the Son of God, God himself in the flesh, in whom are hidden all the treasures in the wisdom and knowledge. Jesus Christ. And that's who we preach. And although this morning we might not be grappling with Gnosticism, how many of you are grappling with Gnosticism this morning? So let's spend an hour or two on that. Satan's strategy is still the same. It's still the same. To detract from or add to or to influence mankind to totally neglect the person and work of Jesus Christ who alone can save. And so we deal with relativism today. It was really interesting how many of you heard... uh, uh, Kaepernick's thing on uh, not doing the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. And, and, and uh, uh, he didn't stand for the National Anthem, excuse me. He didn't stand for the National Anthem. And he sat on the side, and of course you've got a white commentator and, and a, a black commentator, and, and you've got a white woman and another, I think it's a black guy. It's, am I allowed to say that these days? Uh, these people were there. And, and, and so nobody said anything that was offensive, and it was really funny. They started saying, "Well, your truth is, is, is it's, your truth is not necessarily their truth, and their truth isn't their truth." And 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 so you got into this. Everything is relative. There is no overarching truth. There is no meta narrative that is truth for all people for all time. And I'm not trying to make a point in this. The point is that is what influences the culture is relativism. That's something we deal with. Well, when you come to the scriptures, it's not relative. It's authoritative. When he says, do not murder, guess what he means? Well, it depends on your circumstance. It depends if you really hate him or hate him light, you know? No, he's talking about do not murder. Right? And so there are things that are, it's authoritative. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What does he say? What does that mean? And we try, and by the time we're done, we've unraveled just what he simply said. He's it. No one else, before or after, he is it. He's the way. And so we deal with relativism, atheism, agnostics, and, and religions, all religions that would seek to add or detract Protestant, Catholic. Uh, Buddhism, all these things that would seek to detract from the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are many Christians that have a, say Christians, say have a Jesus and message. That it's Jesus and all these things that equal salvation. I'm sorry, it's Jesus alone that equals salvation. The things we do are because we are saved, not so that we get saved. 
And Paul will say in chapter 28, see to it that no one, uh, chapter, chapter 2, verse 8, see that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Do not eat, do not touch, do not handle, all those types of things. That's a study for Hebrews. And so in verse 15 through 19, Paul communicates five things. Verses 15 through 19 is the next section I'm taking here. Uh, Five things about Jesus that would combat these philosophies that would say that Jesus is not enough. You need more and you need less or forget all about him. We're only going to get to the first two this morning. Lord, please help. God wants us to know Christ. For he holds all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How much is all? Where does he want you to get your wisdom and knowledge from? Christ. Where do we get our wisdom and knowledge from? Do we? Very interesting. And so when I counsel people, what, 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 hopefully, where am I supposed to be coming from? What Jesus would say about this. When I talk about politics in the world and all these types of things, and, and, and you're talking about, you know, the lesser of two evils or whatever it might be, what do we want to be concerned with? What kind of wisdom do we want? Political wisdom? Worldly wisdom? What do we want? God-centered. God-centered. Jesus Christ's wisdom. Amen? In all our decision-making, family, all those things. What do we do for here, there? How do we do with our money? How do we treat people? Will they treat us poorly? All that stuff. We want God's wisdom, not man's wisdom. And so Paul begins, he wants to start with a big picture, reminding them again of who Jesus Christ is. And here we are, he says the very first thing, number one of five in verse 15, we already read it, the Son is the image of the invisible God. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Now what in the world does that mean? That's why I'm here. To sit here and give you secret knowledge. No, I have to learn this stuff myself. Lord, help me, teach me. And so I have to go to the Word and see what the Word image is everywhere in the Scripture and and compile it and bring it down and, and lay it out before you. And hopefully you go take and go, is that true? But God the Father is invisible to the material world. John, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 4, 24, that God is spirit. In Colossians 1, 15, it says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus said in John 4, 24, that God is spirit. That is that God the Father does not have a body like us. In 1 Timothy, God the Father is called invisible. Here in Colossians, God is invisible. And the invisible God has a son who is in his image. Now, what does that mean? If you can't see God the Father, if he is spirit, how can the son be in the image of the Father? What does that mean? Let's unpack that just for a second, because Paul's making a point to teach us about the nature and person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Image, the word here is icon. How many have heard the word icon? When you think of icon, what do you think? Computers, yeah. Something that represents something, correct? 
icon, which means likeness. Literally, it can, it can be a statue. If you're taking it literally, it means a statue or a profile. Or figuratively, you can think of it as a representation or a resemblance or an image. We know in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, both male and female. Get that into your heads. Male and female, in the image of God, he created them. We know that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. Mankind was made in the likeness of God, and that we are similar to God in his personality. And that's very important, very important distinctions in that we think, we feel, and we decide. I'm taking theology and bringing it into common words, okay? We think, we feel, we decide. You're similar to God in that you think, you feel, decide. Isn't that interesting that you think? You feel, and you have a will. You, have, you make decisions. You also share other uh, attributes of the Lord in that you like to create things. Isn't that interesting? How many of you like to create things? Where did that come from? Are you happy when you see those things created? Do you find satisfaction in those things you create? Do you find that that came from a plan that was in your mind before you began to do it? Very interesting how we relate with God. But we see in Scripture that God thinks and He feels and He decides. But what God thinks and He feels and He decides comes from who He is, which is holy. Which is holy. And this is where we fall short. Adam fell and Eve fell and they became unholy, immoral, broken, and dead, is what the Scripture calls them. And their descendants became dead the same way. Hello. Exhibit A. And so we're created in the image of God in the sense that we reflect his personality and that we can think and feel and decide, but we do not reflect him morally. And we do not reflect the attributes of his deity, his God, because he's God, in that he's all-powerful, he is everywhere, and he's all-knowing and unchangeable. So obviously we're not created in that image. How many of you are all-knowing? Some of you think you are. I have at times. How many of you are everywhere at once? Some of you try to be. But you're not. You're pretty in one situation. You're stuck. How many all-knowing, unchangeable? No, we change all the time. We are, we're fickle people. We're not in that image. But in an incomplete sense, man is in the image of God and that we reflect his personality and that we think, feel, and decide. But we really fall short even in that. So what does it mean that Jesus was created in the image of God? Jesus is the image of God, First, uh, first uh, sorry, Colossians 1.15 says. So Jesus is really different than us, is what it's trying to say. And that we're broken in an imperfect image of God, while Jesus not only reflects the personality of God in that he thinks and feels and decides exactly the way God thinks, feels, and decides. Not only that, Jesus is just like his Father in that he is moral exactly like his Father, and he's holy exactly like his Father. And he shares the same exact eternal attributes of his Father, the attributes described only to God in that he is all-powerful. He is everywhere. He's all-knowing, and he's unchangeable. Jesus is God the Son. That's who he is. 
Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. I told you I'd get a little theology. Don't worry, we're going we're gonna to pull up. Give me a few minutes, okay? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says the same thing. Check it out if you, if you want to write it down. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. The sun is the exact representation of the Father. The writer of Hebrews is saying the same thing of Colossians, but even more emphatically, Jesus just isn't in the image of God the Father. He's the exact representation of his being. Now, I don't really pretend to understand this and the ramifications of that, right? Being finite. But I really relate with Philip. Remember Jesus' disciple in John chapter 14, verse 8, where he says, Hey, Lord, Lord Jesus, uh, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Just show me. I want to see it. I want to see God. How many of you say, does God exist? Philip said the same thing. Just show us the Father. Show us God and that will be good. And here's what Jesus says to all those who want to know if God exists. Verse 9. Jesus said, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. I am God. Jesus is the express, the exact image of the invisible God. The exact same. Not a shadow. The exact same in essence. He's not even another. He is the same. Now, it falls short when we start to describe this. How many of you have entered fairs in the photo, uh, the photos, photos at the fair? How many of you have done that thing? Sorry, I didn't eat this morning. Christina, just, just my family. Have you ever tried to, like, when you have something you've, you've, like, totally photoshopped out to make it awesome, and then you print it out, and you're like, what in the world? What happened? Why are the colors the same? Why isn't it the exact same image? It's kind of like it, but it's really a faded image. We don't have the, the copy problem with Jesus Christ. He's not only that, he is the exact same. He is the same essence. He is the Father. He's the radiant glory of the Father. Philippians 2.6 says that Jesus manifested God and that he was in the form of God. To clarify even further, one last one. John chapter 1, verse 18 says the same thing. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The point that Paul is making here is if we pull back and look at the context, is that Jesus alone is sufficient to save. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus isn't a prophet, just a prophet. He isn't just a heavenly messenger, an angel, or an emanation in a long line of emanations that will lead you to a better life. He is the exact representation of God. He is God in the flesh. There is no in-between Him and the Father. There's no, steps, there's no steps that are between them. They are one. No one's above Him. He and the Father are one. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. And this is the second point that Paul wants to relay to the church. Not only is Jesus the image of the invisible God, but verse 1b, the Son is the firstborn over all creation. And we're going to get through this. It says, what does this mean? The firstborn over all creation. How many of you are firstborn in your family? 
Now, how many of you older generation know that that comes with responsibility? Right? And what we think, when we're looking at this quite often, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses will take you right here and try to get you to believe that Jesus was created first. But if you read your Bible, you know that this is not speaking of, 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 of time, it's speaking of position. It's not speaking of when, it's speaking of who. He is the firstborn. And if you were Jewish, you would totally get this, what that means. The firstborn in most cultures within the world has what? Responsibility and authority over the family. Does that make sense? Responsibility and authority over the, fa- over the family. And that's what he's getting at. We know that Jesus was pre-existence. In John 8, 58, Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. Which means he used, when, when, remember back in Moses' day when they said, Hey, who, who do you say that I who am? I, you want to go send me to this group of people, God. Well, what do I tell them your name is? And what, is, what, did, what did God say to him? Tell him, I am that I am. When Jesus fast forward 2,000 years or whatever it was, and you're sitting there and Jesus talks to all these old these people who are Jewish and he, they understand the Bible, they understand all these things, they know the stories, and they said, who, who, you know, who are you? Uh, you know, you're only 30 years old. You know, who are you talking to us? And Jesus goes, I tell you what, before Abraham existed, the one that you, are, you say we come from, I am. I am the eternal God. Use the same word, and they picked up rocks to kill him because they knew what he was getting at. He's eternal. Revelation calls him the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. That's the, that's the title reserved for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. God himself only gets that title. The firstborn is not referring to time. It's referring to title and position. The proto, prototokos, whatever that is in the Greek. It refers to rank. It refers to authority and primacy. The firstborn had the rights of inheritance. He had authority. Jesus has authority over what? The universe. And that's what he is. We, uh, God defines it in, in Psalm 89, 27. He says, I shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. It's all about position. Firstborn over all creation. He's the rightful ruler over creation. He's the firstborn. He's the chief. He's the captain. He's at the top. In Revelation 5, if you can just fade away with me for a second. Revelation 5. Where John, the apostle, he's on the island of Patmos. He is taken to the day of the Lord where he's seeing what will happen in the future. And in chapter 5, he begins to speak. He sees he's in the throne room of, of heaven where everything's about to go down. The tribulation. It says, Then I saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Who's worthy? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or look inside it. I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. He has authority. He has ability. He alone can open the scroll 
And that is the title deed of the earth, the universe. It's his. And then I saw the lamb, verse 6, looking as if he had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, just so you know who he is. Jesus. Encircled by the four living creatures and the elders and the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And then they sang to him. I'm skipping ahead because they'd sing a song. And then they fall down and they worship Jesus, the lamb who is slain, who alone is worthy, who holds the title deed to the earth. And, and, Jesus is firstborn. And as you look at chapter 6 through 19 of Revelation, that's Jesus saying, this is mine, I'm taking it back. And he starts to take it back and he lays siege to all that is his. And he takes it back. We with him. Amen? Firstborn is not talking about, yay, he was created. No, I rule is what Jesus is, is, is it's saying here. Ephesians so I'm sorry he's not an angel a created being he's the son of God he's the king of kings the lord of lords the president of presidents amen all powerful Ephesians 1:21 says far above all rulers and authorities powers and dominion and every name that invokes not only in the present age but also in the one to come isn't that good to know the reason he has primacy over all creation is because he created it. And this is the third point about Jesus that Paul wants the church to know. Isn't it good to know that your Jesus isn't a weak Jesus? Isn't, isn't it good to know that your salvation is not in the hands of an, oh no, I hope this works out. I mean, just think of what we're doing with our political cycle. We have a sure bet in Jesus Christ who sits seated above it all, who holds us in his hands. We are seated with him. He did everything for us, and we believe in it, and we get all the benefits. Amen. Amen. Aren't you so thankful it isn't, isn't up to me? Praise the Lord. And my secret knowledge for you. Or even me for my for me. Oh my, I, you know, Lord help. Jesus is able. But the reason he's in charge, the reason and he's reminding them that he's in charge is because he created it. And it says, for in him all things were created, things on heaven, things on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now it's important to know when it says in him all things, that word can be translated by or it can be translated through. So which is it? In, by, or through? Yes. Because the Father, Son, the Spirit, they're all working together to create things. The point in verse 1 is that all things were created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus, with Jesus, through Jesus. Yes. It's all His. For in Him all things were created. Just think about that. All things were created. That's created. Now some of you start thinking instantly, wait, I, I thought the Father created all things. So yes. Yes, the Father created things. We see that. We know that. 
And we see it in different verses, Colossians 1, and uh, we see it in other places like 2 Corinthians 8, when he's talking about idols. And he gets to the end and says, Yet there is one God, the Father, from whom all things came and through whom we live. So the Father is obviously the Creator. Where he goes on and says, And there is one, but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. They both did the same thing. They both created and they both give life. What does that mean? They are the same. All things came from the Father and all things came from the Son. And 1 John, I'm sorry, John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 speaks as the Son is the Creator. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. And without Him nothing was made that has been made. And so in the beginning, that means that there was, before there was anything, when this whole thing started, I'm starting to get abstract here, thing, there was God and the Word, and the Word was God, and they made everything. They were together in making it. Just a little science note, Jesus started it all. But this is shrouded in Genesis chapter 1, revealed in John chapter 1. Really quickly, this is cool stuff. Just real quick, let's just kind of pull back with me. Come on, I see you. want to know a little about Jesus, just hold on. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that, right? In the beginning, God created those. Those of you know he, Hebrew. How many of you know Hebrew? It's just Steve's story back there. The word for God there is Elohim. And any time you put an I am at the end of something Hebrew, it makes it plural. So why is God's plural? In the beginning, God's created the heavens and the earth. People struggle with this. I don't. So cherub, cherubim, seraph, seraphim. Elo, the name of God, Elohim, plural. Why does he choose to identify himself in that way? Because we see in Genesis 1, although the Bible teaches that God is one, we read on and we see that this is referring to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now the earth was formless and was empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light. Jesus is what? The Word. And you just see it all there. What was in his mind came out of his mouth and became. And so, yes, Jesus created all things. What does that include? For all things all things on heaven, in heaven and on earth. So things a million light years away and beyond? All the planets, all the light and the heat, the cold, the sun, the dark, the moons, the black holes if there are any, the nebulas and all that, Jesus created that. All things on earth, oxygen, water, seed, trees, birds, flowers, plants, vegetation, that's as far as my mind goes. Animals, I guess, people, oh yeah, shapes, colors, volcanoes, creatures under the sea, microbiology and that stuff. This is my exhaustive list. Things visible, things we can see with our eyes, invisible, things we can't see with our eyes. This is my definition. Things, that's, that one's hard for us, things that we can't see. You know, there are radio waves blasting through this room. There are things going through this room that we cannot see. And, and, and a, a, an uneducated mind or someone who would not be informed on that would say, this does not exist. But the reality is I can pop on my phone right here and we can start listening to, you know, something. Where did that come from? In us, and it's around us. So things that unseen, the Lord has created, and that would include gravity. 
things that have a strong and weak nuclear forces, you know, I mean, a strong and weak nuclear force, electrical forces, all kinds of stuff going on that we can't see, yet exists. We can observe, I guess. But I want to finish this up. With the thrones, this includes also things seen like demons and angels. With the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, so there are ranks of angels and demons. There are archangels who see who seem to have more power and, and down to the mailroom angels. I have no clue. Same with demons. They have Satan at the top and, and he's the most powerful and then you got the lesser guys at the bottom. But the same thing with thrones and powers and rulers of authority, both on heaven and the earth, all the way from presidents and kings down to clerks. Jesus has created all things and they are for him and they serve his purpose, which is to serve the Father And when I think of that truth, that Jesus Christ created all things, that blows my mind because we live in a massive universe, so massive, you can't even put your mind around it. And so I just want to close by putting a little, just showing you a four-minute video of just the, the things that God has created. So praise the Lord. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven, in the heavens, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. What problems you got going on this week? Group health? Not a problem. Your salvation? Surely he holds that in his hand. Rest in him. Rest in his power. Rest in his authority. Trust in him. Feed upon him. Church, amen? Amen. Lord God, bless your people. Bless them with the knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that every false teaching, every false philosophy that's flooding in their lives, Lord, you just by your spirit show and and take it out and replace it with the truth that we would live lives worthy of the calling that we've received, worthy of your son, of all he's done for us, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe who left heaven, humbled himself, came down, became one of us and died for us, rose again and is seated back the right hand of the Father. We love you, Lord. We want to love you in word and deed this week. Bless these people. Amen.